This is the Impact Church Podcast. Here at Impact, we believe a powerful word at the right time can help you overcome any challenges you are facing. Wherever you are listening or whatever you're going through, we pray this message speaks exactly to your need. Enjoy. I am excited about today. Um, I was preparing for this morning and... um, I came across a story that I'd never heard before. It's a true story. It's by a Navy seaman named Elgin Staples, and it goes back to World War II. He was on the USS uh, Astoria, which was the first U.S. cruiser to be in a specific battle for engaging the Japanese. And um, it was interesting because the boat had been out there for about two days in battle, and right after that, during that second day, the boat got hit, and the boat began to sink. And as the, sink, as the boat began to sink, and, it, you know, big boats take a long time to sink, but they sink. <laughs> and as the boat began to sink, hours went by, and, and what was so interesting was out of nowhere comes a blast from one of the uh, places on the ship that had equipment stored, and a big blast was, came upon the boat. And one of the men, his name is Elgin Staples, was blasted right out the boat into the Pacific Ocean. And the, the sad part about it is as he was blasted, he, first of all, had limited mobility in his legs because both of them were wounded by the blast. He was in a state of shock, but he was with it enough to recognize that he had on him a life belt, which I never heard of until today. I heard of this, but not a belt. He had a life belt on, and he clicked the button to his life belt, and the mechanical thing opened up, and he found himself afloat in the oceans at 2 a.m. in the morning, at 3 a.m. in the morning, at 4 a.m. in the morning. It's dark, y'all. <laughs> at 5 a.m. in the morning, and at 6 a.m. in the morning, he's out there floating, praying for dear life, and hoping that he'll, you know, that he'll be saved. He'll be rescued. Somebody will spot him. Somebody will see him. And right around 6 o'clock in the morning, another U.S. ship comes by, and they see him, and they pick him up. And they take him back to the ship. Now, I don't know why they did this. They take him back to the ship that he got blasted off of. That was a ship that was slowly sinking. So they drop him back off. He gets on that ship, and the captain's trying to save the ship by trying to get that ship navigated to the beach where it could hopefully, you know, get to the dock. Well, unable to save that ship, the ship goes down, and where does he end up back at again? Back in the water. This is a true story. Y'all, it's 12 o'clock. He started at 2 a.m. It's 12 o'clock lunchtime, noon, before he's ever rescued. And finally, when he gets his 30-day leave, he comes back home to his home state, which is Ohio, in the United States. And he begins to recount how he met with his mother, and she just, you know, gave him a big hug and an embrace. And, and he was sitting down to tell her his story about how he had been really in a helpless and a dark situation where he thought there was no life after lost at sea. Not once, but twice. And, and his mom begins to tell her about her war efforts that she was making right then in Akron, Ohio. And she began to talk about how she wanted to do something for the efforts of the war to help. And so she got a job at Firestone there in Akron. And what, and, and she was part of the people who had worked there. And he began to say, oh, that's, that's crazy because the belt that I had on was made by Firestone. Yeah. 
And he runs into his room, his duffel bag. It's a really thin, narrow bill. He pulls it out and brings it on the table. And she is completely speechless. Her mouth is held open as she looks at it and reads the inspection number because she was one of three inspectors. And guess what? That was the one that she inspected. And, and he, said, he said, my mother's arms were so loving for me that she went all the way around the world. Her arms went all the way around the world to save me. And I don't know if y'all understand how much your father loves you, that his arms went all the way around the world, that when nothing else could help, that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son because he knew that nothing else would save you. But see, there's situations and seasons in our life where we can find ourselves lost also in a sea of despair, lost also in a sea of hopelessness, feeling like there's no way out, God. I'm in a deep depression. How do I get up out of this? God, I'm dealing with despair around me. I've lost somebody that I love. I might be even facing my own death. God, what is it that you can do to save me now? from the despair that I'm facing. And I don't know what you came in this morning carrying. You know, we've had a lot of loss. You may not know that because it's individual, but we have a lot of people in the last month in this house that have lost people that they love, fathers and mothers in this house, you know, that don't go to the church, but the loved ones go. I don't know what you might be facing. It might be grief. It might be anguish. Or maybe you just feel hopeless. You looked at your own life and you feel like, you know what, there's some things in my life that... I'm just, I'm just overwhelmed by it. I don't see how I'm going to get out of this. But this morning, I got some good news for you. I got some good news for you. I know a God that I don't care if you're sinking deep in sin, if you're sinking deep in death, if you're sinking deep in sickness. I know a God that can rescue you, a God that can save you, a God that can deliver you, and a God that can bring you from the sea of despair back home. We started off in week one talking about Jesus being the bread of life. That's the bread that sustains us. We went to week two. Jesus is the light of the world. He's a life-giving light just like the sun, and he gives us new life. We talked about Jesus. Pastor Mona talked about Jesus being the door of the sheep, giving us access to the abundant life that the Father promises. We talked about God, Jesus being the good shepherd who cares. He's powerful, but he's, he cares enough to take care of your individual needs, knowing you by name and then he, met, he lets you get to know him. And then we talked, uh, Pastor Marquise talked last week about the vine that helps us to produce lasting fruit. Since we're all producing something, we want to produce something that actually lasts and makes impact. But today I want to talk to you about another part of I am. And he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Are y'all ready this morning? All right, let's go to John chapter 11. And we're going to do some skipping around. If you are on the YouVersion Bible app, it'll flow just like I'm reading it. Um, but we're going to start at verse 1. We're going to end up at verse uh, 27 without reading all of it, though. So it says in verse 1, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. You know those sisters. They have a group. It's called Mary Mary. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> this Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters went, so the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. You can hear you can, this close relationship that they had. And verse 6 says, so he heard that Lazarus was sick. He stayed where he was two more days. That's interesting. Verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. 
When Martha heard, verse 20, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Verse 25 says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. So let's go back because I think most of us, if you've been in church for a split second, you guys know who Mary and Martha are. We've heard their stories. The writer reminds us that this is the same Mary who wiped her, wiped Jesus' feet with her tears and her hair. This is the same one that anointed him. And so they remind us of this close relationship that Jesus had. This is the same Jesus when Jesus went to say Mary and Martha that he went to their house and visited them. And, and uh, uh, Mary sat at his feet and heard his word and Martha served him. This is the same one. Well, coming into this story, what you need to know is that where, where Jesus is in his own life, and, and John has already taken us through it, is that he is not far from his own crucifixion. As a matter of fact, in context of 2023, if Easter Resurrection Sunday is in the second Sunday of April, this would be like next Sunday coming up, the last Sunday of March. And so Jesus at this point of his ministry is facing extreme persecution. Um, he's pretty much hated. He's, he's pretty much people have chosen sides on who they're going to be with and who they're going to be against. And at this point, he's so persecuted that he gets away for a little while outside of town to a place called Beth Bosborough. And while he's there, that's about 15 or 20 miles away from where Mary and Martha are. And so, you know, when you have somebody sick in your family and you tried everything, y'all know we usually do it this way. You first you try Tylenol. <laughs> mm -hmm. Then you try Vicks. Mm -hmm. Then when that don't work, you go to the doctor. Mm -hmm. Then you get a prescription. And when none of that works, then we try Jesus. We got to flip that order. But, 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 but they said, we, we done tried everything. And he, he's not just sick. He's like, uh, he might be deathly ill. So I can imagine in my mind that Martha said, oh, let me just shoot Jesus an email. Lord, the one you love, Lazarus, is sick. And as soon as she sends it, she gets the out-of-office response. Jesus is not in the office. Mm. He's away 15 or 20 miles away at an Airbnb. So she said, well, look, I got to send somebody. I got to go get me a messenger to go all the way across town and tell Jesus, Lazarus, the one you love, is sick. Messenger goes, da, da, da. now 15 or 20 miles, how many of y'all know it ain't as close as you may think it is? Okay, before Ford and Chevy and Toyota and Nissan, 15 and 20 miles is quite a distance. 
So it's now going to take this messenger, it ain't as fast as email, it's going to take them about a day's journey. That's, and that's if you're moving. The messenger arrives and says to Jesus, hey, I got a message from your friends in Bethany. He said, they wanted me to tell you, Mary and Martha wanted me to tell you that Lazarus, the one you love, the one you fellowship with, the one that is your friend, the one you love is sick. Well, the messenger leaves and John records for us Jesus' response. Now, my response would have been, how many of y'all know that his ways are higher than ours? My response would have been, oh, snap, my friend is sick. I got to get across town now. But that's not what Jesus does. John says that Jesus, where, now when he had heard that his friend Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Did you hear what I just said? He stayed where he was two more days. He lingered where he was two more days. But the part that, that, that gets me is that John is careful to tell us some details that we might miss if we go on too fast. He says, he says, this is not just anybody, this Lazarus. This is Lazarus, the one that you love. When the messenger leaves, he's talking to his disciples about what's happening back at home. And basically, basically they say, oh, well, he said, the, the disciples are like, well, you know what? Oh, just let him. He, uh, Jesus looks at the disciples and says, well, you know what? He's asleep. They say, oh, well, you know, if he's sick, you know, put some of that Vicks on, get your little, you know, take your little from the 44. What was it when you were growing up? Whatever. Well, y'all know nothing about that. All right. <laughs> let him go on and get his rest. Jesus said, oh, Lord, I haven't been with you so long. He ain't sleep, sleep. He dead. <laughs> right. And knowing all that happens, he says, I'm going to just stay here another two days. In other words, Jesus loved him and he let him die. I need y'all to stay here with me this morning. I'm trying to go someplace. You see, Ain't that something how we find ourselves in situations where we know Jesus loves us, but then he lets something happen to us? I wish I had some real folk this morning. I, I know he loved me, but he let me go through a failed marriage. I know he loved me, but he let me get in a car accident. I know he loved me, but he let this sickness upon my body. I know he loved me, but he let my loved one walk out on me. I know you love me, but you let me go into foreclosure. I know you love me, but my child is on drugs. God, if you love me, how come you let this happen? How many times have you thought it? Maybe you wasn't bold enough or brave enough to say it, but in your mind you're saying, God, I believe you love me, but you let this happen to me. And John is saying, he loved him, but he let him die. And, and what I can tell you off the rip, what I can tell you is this. Jesus knows what you don't know. So let me see if I can go back right quick. Let's talk about, and this is just a side something, because this is not for the, well, it's for all of it, really, but think about this. Let's count backwards. 
You ready? And we're going to do some time because there's some things going on with, with timing. And, and just like some of you, there's some things going on in your life with timing. And, and I know the folks always say that he may not come when you want him, but he's on time. He's always on time, but sometimes it looks like he's late. I know they say he's on time, but sometimes it looks like he's late. We serve the same Jesus. <laughs> Let's count backwards. When Jesus gets back to town, to Bethany, how long has Lazarus been dead for? Four days. Four. So, if we count backwards, that's day four, Lazarus is in the grave and dead because Jewish regulation you die today we bury you today so Lazarus is dead on day four I guess I use this finger Lazarus is dead <laughs> Lazarus is dead I'm counting backwards that's my bearing Lazarus is dead on day four what does Jesus do on day three he's still lingering out of town remember what is he doing on day two He's still lingering out of town. Because remember, two days he stayed behind. Y'all following? What happens on day one? He got the message. If that's day one, when did Lazarus die? Day zero. You're welcome. In other words, it took the messenger, hold on, it took the messenger about a day to get to Jesus because it's 15 to 20 miles away to even tell Jesus that Lazarus had died. When he tells Jesus that Lazarus had died, it likely by the time he got there, guess what? Lazarus was already dead. And so Jesus doesn't rush back because he already knows what he's going to do. And see, the God that we serve, he knows what he's going to do. He, he sees what you can't see. He knows what you can't, what you don't know, and he can move what you can't move. So he knows, he tells his disciples before he even goes back, he says, this ain't because I wasn't able to get back in time. This is not because uh, this is going to end the way it looks that it's going to end. He says, this is for the glory of God, that God would be glorified through it. He sees what you can't see. Because you know when you're going through pain and a hard time, you can't see how God's going to get the glory out of it. When you're going through overwhelm and you're going through despair, you can't see how God's going to get the glory. But God sees how he's going to be glorified out of it and you're going to be edified. So when Jesus arrives back into town, he's right outside of Bethany. Mary stays home. Martha gets up and goes running when she hears. And at this point, you need to know that they, you know, Jewish funerals would be last for days. People would be, you know, come from across town in different places and stay. And the rest of the scripture I didn't read talked about how, how many Jews were there. And when you have many Jews that are there and they came from Jerusalem to Bethany, it's because these people were not just loved, but they also had a certain status in the community. And the fact that many came showed how respected they were. But how many know no matter how respected you are and no matter what your status is, it still can't help you when you face death? And Mary, Martha runs out to Jesus and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
Can I interpret it real quick? I know you came. And I know you say you're always on time. But right now, it's too late. It's too late. There's, there's nothing you can do about it now because Lazarus is out of time. Jesus looks at it and says, your brother will rise. Martha says, oh, oh, I know that. I done read the scripture. I know he's going to rise. I know. Your brother will rise. He said, oh, I know he's going to rise. But she said, he'll rise in the last day. And so what we find in her response is where we find ourselves. What she's essentially saying to Jesus is, you weren't here when I needed you, so now it's too late or past time. And he's going to rise one day in the future, but it's too soon, not yet right now. And she's facing a challenge that we face. Our faith often for God is in something he could have or should have done in the past or something he may or will do in the future, but rarely does it show itself up in the present where the challenge is. Martha doesn't doubt that Lazarus is going to rise. He's going to rise. Oh, I know he's going to rise. Oh, I felt that he's going to rise. He's going to rise. But that's in the future. If you've been here, then that's in the past. He didn't have to die. But how many of y'all know faith for the past and future doesn't help you too much in the present? So what does Jesus do? Jesus reintroduces himself. Because remember, this is his friends. There's not a lot of people in scripture that Jesus called friends. Specifically, these are his friends. And they know him as a miracle worker. They've seen the miracles. They know him as a healer. This is why they said Mary Martha sent the word. He's sick. I know you can fix this. They, they've seen what Jesus can do. They know him as a healer. They know him as a friend. They probably knew him as a provider, but they did not know him as he's about to introduce himself to us. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. As we've been talking about, the I am here is significant because the I am means that he's saying that I am God, and as God, I am. And every time, I need you to understand, every time that God used I am in the Old Testament and Jesus used I am in the New Testament, what Jesus is actually saying is, I am a right now God. No, I, didn't. No, 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 no. I need you to catch this. He, he's saying, I'm not a, I, he's not saying I was. He's not saying, I will be. That's not. He's saying, I am. It's in the right now. It's in the present tense. He's saying, I am that I am of necessity. I always have been. I always will be. But I always am right now whenever now is. Because see, what we forget about God is that God is not locked into time. God is not locked into space. He lives outside of time. So no matter what time it is, when it looks like it's too late on your calendar, when it looks like it's too late, on your clock, when it looks like it's too late in your lifespan, God says that I'm a right now God. Everything about God is not then, not was, but right now. He has no beginning. He's just now. 
That's why we can't comprehend. Where did God come from? He, he has no being. He's just now. He always will because he's just now. He's not going anywhere. He has no ending. Everything about God is now. And so what Jesus is saying when he's saying to Martha, and he's saying it to you right now. So he's saying, well, it's too soon in the future for him to do something. And it's too late in the past for him to do something. And what he's saying to you and what he's saying to me is, it may be too late for you, but it's never too late for Jesus. No, you miss that. You miss that. He says, as I am the resurrection and the life, he's telling you that it may be too late for you. But it's never too late for Jesus. I said it may be too late for you. That's the first point. But it ain't never too late for Jesus. It may be too late for you. But it's never too late for Jesus. Let me explain. If Jesus thought that all he could do was heal. He would have had to get there when he first heard. Which is what I would have done. Because I would be limitedly thinking that I got to hair up and get to Lazarus. Because if I don't get there in time, he's not going to make it. And that means death has the final word. So he said, I know who I am. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word, I am the I am. I am in the beginning. I am the beginning. I am the ending. He said, I already know who I am. And because death has no power over me. And because I have all power in my hand. I don't even have to get there when you think it's on time. I can show up at any time and do what you can do. There's not very many resurrections in the Bible. There are a few in the Old Testament. There's Elisha and Elijah, the only ones that were used to resurrect anyone. Elijah, the prophet Elijah resurrected a widow's son who had died, and he resurrected that son that same day. Elisha performed the resurrection of the dead. The Shumanite woman's son, he died too. Maybe it was a tumor. We don't, it doesn't tell us specifically, but whatever it was, his head was in significant amount of pain, and he died. And Elisha resurrected him. In the New Testament, Jesus minding his business, walking out along the road. There's a woman who's a widow who her only son has passed away. Remember when did Jews bury the dead? The same day. He stops the funeral and says, hold up. And calls that little boy back to life or the, the man back to life. And he lives. The difference between the Shumanite woman and the widow woman who lost her son in the New Testament and the one who lost her son in the Old Testament, the difference was each one of those had died that day. What do we know about Lazarus? We know two things about Lazarus. We know that Lazarus died four days already. And later on in the text, it tells us when he gets ready to tell them to roll away the stone, Martha's like, hold up. I don't know if you're ready for this stink. I know you don't smell some stink in your life. But you ain't smelled nothing like this. Don't roll away that stone because he, he stinketh already, which means this. That they understood that it was evident that not only had Lazarus died, his body began to decompose. 
Y'all ain't going to say nothing. It's one thing to raise up somebody who died an hour ago. It's one thing to raise up somebody who died a half hour ago. It's a whole other thing to raise up something that has begun to come apart. Something that is decomposed. Something that's no longer together. Something that's falling apart. And he says, no, no, your brother will rise because I have all power and all life in my hand. It may be too late for you. But it's never too late for Jesus. Not even decomposition can stop his power. Not even, and you say, well, what's the big deal about that? The big deal about that is, the message for you this morning is, some of us got some loved ones in the grave. And they ain't just been there for an hour. And they haven't just been there for a few hours. But some of them have been there for days, and some have been there for months, and some have been there for years. And what Jesus wants you to know is that death does not have the final say. It may be too late for you, it may be too late for them, but it ain't never too late for me. Which means I'm going to see my mom again. Which means I'm going to see my daddy again. Which means I'll see my mother-in-law again. Which means I'll see Deacon Joseph again. Which means I'll see Deacon Eisen again. Which means I'll see Pastor Peter again. Because Jesus said, I have all power, and your dead shall live again. That's why Isaiah said in Isaiah 26, 19, but those who die in the Lord will live. Their bodies will rise again. Oh, God. He wants you to understand he said, I am the way. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. And so what he needs you to understand is that for whatever is dead, he is the resurrection. Whatever is dead. For whatever is dead, he is the resurrection. Anything that's dead, he is the resurrection. Some of us, it's not a person. Some of us, our dream died 20 years ago. Some of us is not a person. Some of us are marriage. We're still in the same house, but the marriage died 10 years ago. And Jesus needs you to understand, I don't care how badly things have decomposed. I don't care how long it's been dismembered. It doesn't matter what state it is that you look at it now. And it might be stink right now. It might be that it started as a private prayer request. Lord, the one you love is going through. And maybe Jesus didn't come when you first sent the prayer request. And now the private prayer request has become a public issue. That everybody knows that your marriage is dead. Everybody knows that you're chronically ill. Everybody knows that you've been in bankruptcy. But what God said is, I don't care how long it's been. It's never too late for Jesus. Maybe it's too late for you. But it's never too late for Jesus. Because for what's dead, he is resurrection. And get this. He's not resurrection then. He's resurrection right now. Because see, what you need to understand is two things. One is the resurrection of the dead at the end, and the other one is just simply resurrection. That's who Jesus is. Because see, he had to let them know resurrection is not an event. It's a person. The hope of whatever is dead in your life ever getting back up again won't happen from an event. I don't care if you hit the lottery for a million dollars, pay your tithes and offering. Mm. 
can have all the money you want. It's not enough to resurrect the dead things in your life. You can get all the status you want. It's not enough to resurrect the dead things in life. You can have all the Instagram followers you want. It's not enough. But Jesus, the resurrection is. He is the resurrection for whatever is dead. He says, I am the resurrection. And he doesn't just say, I'm the resurrection and the half life. He says, I'm the resurrection and the life. In other words, I am the resurrection and I am the life. There's three words that could have been used there. Unfortunately, our English is very limited, right? So we have less words than other languages do. Some of these older languages have plenty more words. And so when we talk about, as an example, when we talk about love, we have phileo love in Greek, friendship love. We have agape love, which is God's love. What's the other one? I can't forget. Ero. Well, we're going to leave that one alone. Y'all don't need none of that ero stuff. That's why I forgot it. Yeah, I'll stay out the eros. But for the Greek word for life, there's three words. And some of them, they also really should sound somewhat familiar. Bios, where we get biology, physical life. That's a different kind of life. Psych, spelled just like psychology. It means life for the soul for the soul, emotional well-being in life. And the final word for life is Zoe, Z-O-E, Zoe. And that life doesn't just mean a simple physical life. It doesn't mean only your soul. It is God, the kind of life that God is. It is literally God taking his air, if you will, and putting it into your intertube. He is literally departing in you the, the thing that causes him to be alive and that goes into your spirit, man. The thing that causes him to be life and that always was and that always will. It is literally God literally taking your deflated, I'm going to use your deflated uh, life belt that's deflated and flating it back up and putting it around you to make sure that you've always got life in you. It is literally divine life of God that is indestructible. He says... I am the resurrection and the Zoe life, eternal divine life of God. And the reason why he is the resurrection is because he is the life, the eternal son of God himself. And then he says this. This is the major point of, well, let me say it this way. The first next feeling says, so for what's dead, he's the resurrection, but for what's living, he is the life. So let me stop here and say, I don't care if you're alive and you're going through. He's the life. For whoever's died in Christ, he is the resurrection. But he says this to Martha. This is an interesting shift here. He says to her, after he says who he is, he says, the one who believes in me will live. Even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will 
never ultimately die or spiritually die. But he asked a very interesting question. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? There's a couple things happening here. Jesus is attaching himself as God incarnate with salvation. He's attaching himself saying, the only life belt that you have is me. And the only way you stay above the fray, the only way you stay out of the sea of death, so that death doesn't ultimately take you under, is that you got to believe for yourself. And I, when we say believe, please understand, he doesn't mean believe like, do you believe in the fairy godmother or the tooth fairy? That's not what he's talking about. He's saying, when he says believe, he's saying that word believe, there's a relational trust. Do you trust me enough to rescue you? It's not just believing for the sake of believing in an idea or believing because it's the right thing to do. No, 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 no. It's relational. That's why he said, Martha, do you believe this? He ain't even talking to Lazarus. I'll get you in a minute. Just stay right there. Do you believe this? I don't want to ask you a question this morning. Do you believe it? Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? And she had a psalmist say, Lord, I believe. Woo, do you remember when you first said that? Lord. I believe the day that he changed you from death to life and from darkness to light. Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Messiah that was to come into the world to save me. And so Jesus, after she makes a confession of salvation, he said, come on, let's go. They walk over to the tomb. And that's when he says to her, roll the, he says to the, those around, roll the stone away. She's like, it's going to stink. I've been trying to tell you. It's going to be bad. And they roll the stone away. And if you've been overseas to those Middle Eastern ancient places, it wasn't in the ground. It would be like more of a cave, right? So they roll the stone away. And Jesus, with one word or one sentence, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth. Because Jesus has so much power that all he got to do is call something that's dead forth. And what I love about it so much is that he has so much power to he had to be specific. Because see, if he had just said, come forth everything in the tomb around Lazarus, would have got up too. But because he's who he is, oh, he had to be specific. No, no, y'all stay. We got another date in the future. Lazarus, come forth. And when he's ready for you to come forth out of what you're in, all he got to do is speak one word because he knows you by name. You know him by name. One word will bring you out of your death scenario. One word will bring you out of your trial. One word will bring you out of darkness. One word will bring you out of despair. All you got to do is speak one word. 
and can shift things in your life just like that. Because the answer to death and despair is never an event. It's a person. And no matter what other religions attempt to tell you in philosophies, the answer is not an achievement. It's not knowledge that you know or enlightenment that you attain, a state you achieve. The ultimate fulfillment of human desire is a person. It's Jesus Christ. Y'all come up real quick. I want to I'm going to close out and just share. It's called the parable of the life preserver. Four people were drowning and given a life preserver. And the first man was given his. He said, I don't believe it's a life preserver. And I don't believe it can save me. Y'all know what happened? He drowned. Mm. The second man said, I believe that's a life preserver, but I don't believe it can save me. Isn't that something how people think about Jesus? Oh, yeah, it works. It just works for you. It won't work for me. He drowned. The third man said, I believe it's a life preserver, and it can save me. But he never grabbed a hold of it. He drowned. The fourth man said, I believe it's a life preserver, and I believe it can save me. And he grabbed the hold of it. And he lived. What Jesus shows us with the I am, the resurrection, and the life, that all who personally put their trust in him never ultimately die. They're, all, they're saved. But salvation is not a corporate decision. It's an individual one. And knowing that there is a life jacket available, a life belt available, is not enough to save you. Believing that it can save you is not enough to save you. Taking hold of it is what saves us.